So in terms of horror, yes. What is there apart from the, the stuff that you've worked on and your friends have worked on? What is there recently that's caught your eye and you've thought that's uh, been done right? Budgetical. Um, I don't know. Like I, I was actually thinking about this before I left. So I'm actually really bad at speaking about my influences. Obviously, my obvious influences or things which I like because it sort of becomes one big holy mess in the back of my head somewhere yeah. and I can't really draw out what I've what's been really great for me and what's been really bad as soon as you ask me that quick question it's a white wall with mm. I don't know because it's done it's over I like I, 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 I get I get influences like what I've really enjoyed it's never one piece of work like it's little things and little pieces of here and there like just trying to think about now my horror of much recent I really like oh, just give me did a moment did you feel Greg Ruffer's Punisher horror? yeah look I did enjoy that That's that's been fun but that's not what I yeah would, no I, I don't know I'm just trying to think about it um god fill space with dancing music um I don't know like I piano solo for you right now thinking <laughs> <laughs> music I really don't know what I really Has, enjoy have any of you read the image book I think it's called Revival no, no. Um, the writer describes it as country noir, which country noir. Yeah, who's that? He's doing Witchblade at the moment as well. Oh, bugger. Yeah, his, his name escapes me unfortunately. But it's a series about a country community and people have just started coming back from the dead. But there's one bit at the beginning where a person comes home and finds their grandmother plucking her own teeth out of her mouth. Ew. And the floor is scattered uh, with teeth. They keep growing back. So there's like hundreds of teeth. Oh, that's good. And that was quite a Your disturbing image right there. Yeah. Actually, what, what that actually reminded me is that I saw Let Me In recently, yes. the American remake of Let the yeah, Right One In. Right and it made me realize how much I prefer the original Let the Right One In to Let Beautiful Me In. Beautiful film. Yeah. Like and he's an amazing writer. How inferior Let Me In actually is. I, I like it. like the grudge. Yeah, like it's, but for me, it's like they take. The, they take away some of the elements which I think was implied in the first film and make it more obvious what it's about. Like the young girl is like this seduct seductress of the young boy when the first one it seems like she wants a companion to continue her mm. life with. And, it, and whilst both look visually astounding and have the same story beats, I think the yeah, undercurrent of the more romantic. Well, the, ar the undercurrents of the first film to me just. I found more compelling at the very least of the... Did you read the book? Little Nazi. No. You're going to blow your mind now. What? Do you want to tell them? The book? No, no about Ellie. It's about being a... a castrated boy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, they kind of... Don't they no, kind of... No, there's a flash. No, 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 this, this strong input... Turns out yeah, to be a very important part. No, it's very, it's a very important part of the film. Like, I got that straight away when she says, just say in case... Would you still love me if I wasn't a young girl? And then you see the flash and the castration. It's always referring to the fact that she's not who she is. And the way she does it's not so much talking about the fact she's a vamp vampire, but the fact that she's not as she appears to be mm. physically. Like, it's, it's quite, to me, quite obvious. And they lose that completely in the American film because yes. the American deal with the idea of children being horrific and the young and the young vampire being a seductress, but we can't deal with the idea of gender or the idea that the it was a pedophile it's just it's a lot more simplistic in the American version I found it is true but 
you know, I mean, it's a strong text. There's lots to bring yeah. out for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that no one's gone near is that the scenes narrated from the from the, the Renfield kind of characters yeah, point yeah. of view uh, uh, awful. Yeah. There's a scene where he's spying on the boys in the in really? the yeah. I don't even want to say what the bloody words he used are. Oh, yeah, that's kind of like that's yeah. an interesting example because Renfield wrote the script for the film. Yeah. And he wrote all that. He took it all out. You know, because the book is so disturbing. Right. It's I, a I think the scene of him literally trying to look up little boys' bums might have been a bit oh, hard to show. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, what frustrates me about Lindquist, and we can talk about this generally in terms of horror, because when you talk about horror fiction, the first name is always Stephen King. Yep. Every damn time. And Lindquist, I think, is a far better writer. You know, every single blurb I've seen for his novels is he is the Swedish. Stephen King, or he, you know, which I think is actually marketing. a bit of an insult because he's actually. Yeah, no, it is, but it's pure marketing. It just gets oh. the book into the consciousness. That is, yeah, is that just them saying that he's good? He's, he's, he's <laughs> the most well-known horror writer in Sweden. Is that is that their way of? Because they're, if you're they're like introducing him to America. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more for the sake sense. of the American audience. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense that that's the language but that they would use. I think that the literary ambitions of the two men are very very different. Very different. Yeah. What was his second novel? The weird zombie novel. Handling the Undead. Handling the Undead, which is only a zombie novel in that the dead yeah. come back, stay around and come back. How but fast there's, there's, no, there's no brains, there's no anything like that. It's a story of dealing with loss. It's a story of dealing with, okay. with death. It's a wonderful book because unlike an American zombie apocalypse yeah. fiction, you know, zombies come back, the military shows up and starts shooting them. In the, in the Swedish novel, the government says, okay, let's, let's care for them, let's put them in hospital boards, yeah. let's put them in touch with their families. Oh, I love that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, a very reasonable response. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an infinitely more interesting uh, novel. Oh. And uh, with a remarkably strange climax, which I couldn't even describe unless you'd read the book. Um, okay. But he's a, you know, he's a literary novelist working in, in horror. Mm. Right. And that's, what was that, uh, The Last Werewolf? The last work, which Lennon is Duncan. I started reading that a little while ago. I, while I was writing Torn, I couldn't read a werewolf book for ages. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't read cowboy comics. No, I don't read no. Six Gun or anything like that. I don't read no. Dark Tower. No, I got to keep away from these sort of immediate influences. I'm, I'm now keep keep keeping away from apocalyptic novels and comic books at the moment. You're not going to see Mad Max 4, Mad Max versus the models. Oh, fuck that maybe. <laughs> uh, I can't say it because it could be good, but when I saw that we had a Rose Whitley Huntington, the Transformer in there, oh, I saw that. Oh, God, is she really? Up. I don't know. I don't know. Depressing. I'm but proud to say. She's the new Megan Fox. But, uh, but I thought, wow. really? That, Megan that, Fox, that was quick. No, well, no, no, apparently she refused to do things to Michael Bay. She turned so 21. She compared Michael Bay to Hitler. So she got fired. That's the short version. <laughs> now we're all looking at Christian, waiting for him to say something in no, response to that. No, it's, it's, are you angry about this, Christian? It's injustice. Yeah. <laughs> I think Christian's indifferent towards Who am I supposed to be defending? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Who am I outraged for? Oh my god. Uh, for the audience. <laughs> I like apocalyptic novels and books. I think that's where you find a lot of really good horror as well. I think, once again, you remove the supernatural element, but because it's so divorced from our reality, so foreign to what we expect every day, you do find some very strong, not supernatural parts, but akin to supernatural elements. The Alchemist allows us to experience things which 
if we experience them through a normal crime book would seem too gruesome, but allows us to experience them in more of a horror aspect, a more supernatural framework, even though it's technically not supernatural. Well, I'll take something like Prometheus, flawed movie. Yeah. Uh, I bring that up only because it's recent. Yeah. Alien is now 700 years old, which is an infinitely superior movie in every way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah. But again, I mean, that's a. As an attempt to be a serious kind of uh, discussion of apparently intelligent design theory, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, and, 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 yeah, and, and, and why you know, Von Daniken was right, <laughs> um, but nevertheless, I mean, like you know, uh, what we were talking about before with blending horror genre into yeah. everything, horror is I tend to find something that you add to an existing text. Prometheus ah. would be the same movie almost yeah. without the eel melting yeah. the dude's face off. You could yeah. make the same movie. Yeah. Maybe it would have been a better movie, maybe it would have been a, a yeah. worse. But to me that was the best scene in the bloody movie because astronaut getting his face melted in. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, wasn't big on Blue Alien though. He looked like a really angry the engineer. Smirk. It just looked like gigantic China Mavel. My God. I, I just <laughs> Go and have a look at China Mavel. Looks exactly like an engineer. <laughs> my God is a UFC fighter on steroids. Like, that's what that film was telling me, basically. He likes to rip head, heads off and beat me to death with, with a wet heart. I, I, one of the few DC books at the moment I'm reading and enjoying is Dial H for Hero, which is mm. a China's book. And yes, it's very silly, but then no, it's not very silly. And like he sort of plays with this ridiculousness of the concept of a hero who dials and gets superpowers, you know. And I look forward to the trade, is what I'm saying. After after Demon Knights was terrible, <laughs> that's the line. Paul Cornell, you let me down. Oh, uh, no, really? You don't Demon Knights? Paul it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Christian's gone to a dark place. <laughs> Christian's that was it. That was it. That was the one book I wanted. No offence. But I don't care about Earth 2. I don't yeah. care about, like, what if Batman was a fantasy Batman. Yeah. I don't care about... Fantasy Batman? I don't know. That's my... I saw, like, three pictures of Nicola's work, and uh, okay. I don't know Batman's yeah, okay, going to be you. dressed up as a knight. And Have to admit, Batman Incorporated is the bomb. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but China Man you know, yeah. finally gets a book up and running. Uh, and I don't... I don't know. I'll have a look at it and try it. Yeah. Okay. I've heard good things. But, yeah. Only because I'm pretty much. China Mabel is, to me, the only useful voice in fantasy now. He doesn't <laughs> even write it anymore, so. Yeah. Big fan. Big, big fan of the old China. Don't you also Abercrombie as well? He's alright, but he's nothing amazing. Yeah. I, mean, I liked the books. Yeah. It's not like I'm sitting there going, like, oh my god, it's just pretty much what if Gandalf was a cunt. You read Abercrombie when you're going through withdrawal for George R. R. Martin. And that's, I mean, that's what he wrote the books. He was sick of waiting for George R. R. Martin. So he wrote really? it. Was, was, was that his? Was yeah, that was it. That kind of motivation. I, I literally read him on a plane trip. I was, and it's because I'd gone over to, to LA. I was working. I think I was covering E3 or something like that. And uh, somebody said, "Read this. It's good." Yeah. It was a good thing to read on a plane. Yeah. Uh, it's not like I'm sitting around going like, oh my god, Jerome Crumby is such an amazingly powerful new voice. No. Uh, 
he, he wrote a fun fantasy novel. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't make him China Mabel Jesus. Because China Mabel is fantasy Jesus. Years and years of trying to get me into it, I've actually started to read some China. He's been Tommy. Andrew, are you reading China Mabel? Uh, Why aren't you reading this? (laughs) Because I'm an idiot. I don't care. I've started to read some now. You should read him. He's fantastic. I am. And he incorporates horror elements into his work. (laughs) Very much so. I think that the the, the remade, uh, which for readers at home are the, the. punishment factories of his city that he writes in where people are literally sort of flesh engineered as a, as a social punishment so a woman who lets her, her child die just crib death uh, the baby's arms are put into her forehead like a oh my God. as a way to remind her you were wrong Jesus <laughs> yeah there's a, a woman whose uh, legs are replaced with an engine Oh, I love this. So, uh, what, what's there also a writer called Stephanie Swanson? Stephanie. Uh, yeah, she was part of the briefly failed New Weird thing, and she wrote a series of stories about God went away, God was on holidays, right? And these were thirty people that had to look after creation. Right. One of who was an addict to heroin addict who kind of stuffed things up. Good writer. Yeah. Good writer. What kind of natural selection selected these 30 people? <laughs> God did. God did. God selected God. 30 people. Thank God. God. Yeah. My best story about God is still the preacher. Mm. Still my favourite God story. Preacher. There you go. There's your classic juxtaposition of comedy and horror. Yeah. yeah. Go fuck yourself. Ass face. Garth Ennis is just... He's pretty Yeah. I still think, yep, the image of like... Ass face out there in the lightning storm. Yeah. Like, if I have a face like an ass, I will become ass face. <laughs> Just cracks me up every he's single up. time. His Hellblade Blazer is the best stuff I've read on Hellblazer. Yeah, yeah easily the best run on Hellblazer. Uh, the whole cancers. Yeah, uh, that's that's hard going. But until you get in there, it's a great payoff. The fact that he, he wrote Punisher as a joke and then kind of went like, oh, actually, I like this, and then wrote some of the most brutal horror... Uh, oh, that's, that's actually horrible. Punisher by Ennis, I've been quite as the same before. It's one of my favourite horror books of all time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you could easily call that a horror book. I mean, yeah. that sequence where he guts the dude and hangs his oh. guts out on the trees and then is like, I'll put him back in if you talk. <laughs> she even... He doesn't. <laughs> and I just spoiler alert there's that one great bit where, where, where he just Ow, he, gives, he gives the guy a gut gut wound right, right in the storyline but he tells you what a gut wound actually is yeah like, it's the most painful agonising way you're basically drowning around feces and it's just like well and the art is so in line with what he's trying to what the caption said as well it's a great great yeah yeah no um, I would say that, that you'd easily put most of Garth Ennis' work squarely within horror um, and I think that's where he works best. I think something like um, what was the not quite zombies thing he did? Crossed, crossed. Yeah. Oh, that's. I know that you weren't particularly a fan. I thought some of it was tremendously effective. It wasn't. I wasn't a fan. It's just it was hard going. It literally was. I think some of his most brutal work. I think so. Um, but I think that going back to what you were talking about yeah, at the I beginning mean. is that. The best part of that story is the ultimately rest upon a woman trying to teach her kid manners. 
in a part of this horrifying yeah. apocalypse where everyone has gone insane, yeah. she continues to make her son say please and thank you. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I thought that just said everything of, about what he was trying to do without forcing it, without any great long speeches, uh, anything like that, in the face of absolute despair and absolute monstrosity. Return to Say please and thank you. And then the kid dies. <laughs> but, 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 but I think it goes back to the central why I think premise what horror is about identifying yourself and humanity. It's about it's always about a battle against or battle with humanity. About what you define yourself as, like the identity of our humanity or how we choose to find humanity. For me at least. Draw. What? Box or draw. That's where I keep my humanity. You can do humanity right if you pack up Malbros. That is true. <laughs> um, no, that's a good writer. But what, then again, what about Neonomicon, which seems to completely oh, reject? Yeah. I like the. Uh, you were the one who actually recommended Neonomicon. Oh, I loved Neonomicon. And I actually found it extremely hard going, but at the same time, it was um, extremely well written. Fish and job. <laughs> so. No, I found Neonomicon tremendously effective because, as a Lovecraft fan, I thought the the bringing the subtext into text mm. I thought was very very exciting. I think that as a as a fan of comic book storytelling, it's tremendous. Uh, uh, the sequence where uh, where Johnny Carcosa literally disappears into the bleed of the comic book that package was that was clever. absolutely yep. fantastic. Mm. Um, I've read it. Don't. I don't think you'd like it. <laughs> I probably would. Just, I don't think you uh, would. I don't think I didn't. There, there are <laughs> particularly sequences where everything is within rectangles. The entire page is yeah. like a. There's a scene where two people with a car are talking, and there's the uh, rectangle of the car window. There's the rectangle of the rearview mirror. There's the rectangle of the. So you, basically, you are getting sucked into the comic. Right. And they are in a comic. They are simply unaware of it, aside from the bad guy, who is aware that he's within a comic. And literally, they're sitting around and they can't remember the word gutter. Right. They're going like he disappeared into the the thing, the drain thingy, because the bad guy is in the gutter of the page. That's hilarious. It's amazing. Now there is 22 pages of uh, fish rapist hand jobs, but mm-hmm. wow. Okay. Yeah. But I thought that it was uh, sen- sensitive, is perhaps the wrong word. Um, I thought it was appropriately told. Mm. And I thought it was bloody horrifying. It's a terrifying book. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, but, um, I mean, to say Alan Moore has come out with something which is an excellently structured script yes. should be no use to anybody. I mean, no. That's what he does. Yeah. But um, was it needful? That's <laughs> the question I was asking I myself. I mean, like, that's a broader question. Of, yeah. like, uh, is, did you need to see The Punisher set an old man on fire? Did you need to see him? I think we need to remind you every now and then that the Punisher is a psychopath. Yeah, did you no. need that fantastic scene where he throws the woman against bulletproof glass for half an hour? God, that was compelling, that scene. It was just the fact that it's like, let's see if this breaks. Come on, let's keep going. It's just. But that's okay. But a sequence of a woman is sexually abused by a fishman is not. Mm. That's very interesting to me. Well, no. I. It's not the depiction itself that I would rule out, let's say. I don't want to be censorious. I mean, for once, for example, one of my favorite books is Tender Morsels by Marco Lanigan. It's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful book. And what happened with her and the magazine 
website Bitchless where they took her off a list of recommended reading for feminist teenagers wow. because it depicted the act of rape in her book. I thought that was ridiculous. Yep. Mm. Um, my issue with Neonomicon was what you just said a moment ago, which is that he took the subtext of Lovecraft and made a text. Yep. Going, Did we need it? Did we need that? Yes, when you read Lovecraft, there is sex going on there. Yes, there's repression. Yes, there is yeah. racism. There's all that there. And to be sort of pointing at it and saying, look, there it is. I go, I don't care. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've read the bloody thing. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, Lovecraft is be generous, sort of one of the top five horror writers, the most important mm. horror writers. Mm. Secretly, he's number one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's your guy. Him, him and Clark Ashton Smith, they're my guys. Oh, no, you, yes. you were the one who put in the Clark Ashton Smith, I have to say. Um, Brilliant. And, you know, Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, and I've actually... He's, he's, he's a superior writer no, to Lovecraft. But, but that's been my big Which Lovecraft actually admitted. Lovecraft yeah. Yeah. actually only discovered Clark Ashton Smith because Lovecraft wrote this essay. About his influences. Yeah. I I I mean, 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 collects all these sculptures and stuff like that. Um, but we were talking briefly before about influences, and the older I've, I've, I've gotten, mm. the more I've retreated to the past no. to mm. look for influences. Um, no. I like Stephen King as much as any casual fan can be, but I haven't read a Stephen King book in 10 years. No. Mm. But L.A. Lewis, this kind of like vaguely forgotten uh, British show story writer, uh, guys like The Office Tale, and Mission Pipe and uh, Tower of Moab and all these sort of great weird stories. Uh, Emma James, I was think uh, that, yeah. you know, Casting the Runes or Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, stuff like that. Yeah. Which in many ways now, like that's literally a story about a ghost with a sheet on, <laughs> and it's bloody great, right? <laughs> but it, but it is literally a story of a ghost in a sheet scaring a dude. But it's really, really quite scary. Um, you know, the, go back to the pop guys. Go back to Clark Ashton's myth. I mean, Little Crab never really went away. No. But there's this whole, you know, movement around him. No. Um, Frank Dunlap Long is, in some way, and there are like three or four that I know Lovecraftian short stories, but they're all absolute classics. Um, when we interviewed you for the podcast before, you said you were going to be working on William Cole Hodgson as well. He's yep. another Karnak. Karnak. First big bunch of pages just came in yesterday. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, pretty excited. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my artist had a, a something bad happen to him and he had to stop working for about three months. But um, yeah, that's in. That's the, the first kind of like. Uh, is this Matt? Yep, this is Michael with the Eldritch Kid Artist. Who's and, uh, Yes, that's And uh, what's happening is uh, uh, it's about a young couple who move into a house and there's a handprint on the wall, a skeletal handprint, and it begins to obsess, uh, obsess them. And that's very much me trying to return to that kind of yeah. like uh, classical supernatural horror. Yeah, it's something that I want to return to. Um, I don't want to do like you know 
They go out of the basement and then everyone got stabbed in the face by a monkey. I, I don't want to do that. But, so, yeah, and um, bizarrely, the, the Karnak stories are actually not particularly an influence on the... Well, the Karnaki story is not particularly an influence on, on my story. But the other the other works that I've, uh, that I've just talked about, those are the things that are influencing me. Those are the things that I want to yeah. get at. That's the kind of horror that I like. Yeah. That's the thing that, that the older I've gotten, the more and more I've liked, and the more and more I'm going to appreciate the artistry of it. Why are we suddenly looking at me? Well, I don't know. I if, we're, if we're talking about what people are working on next, what's your upcoming work at the moment? The yeah. same thing I've been working on for the last six months. So Can't take over the world! <laughs> <laughs> I've got my second arc of Earth 2 starting, which has some horror elements, but it's sort of... You have an undead creature attacking them. It's pretty horrific. Do Tell us about the undead creature. It's an undead creature. Oh yeah, Grundy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Solomon Grundy, zombie. Solomon Grundy. Yeah. Well, you know, we've 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 had a lot of free reign with Earth two with Earth two because it's New Fifty Two, so everything's reinvented. But uh, it's also uh, we're on a different Earth, and we get to tell all the stories uh, of our Earth, and it's uh, considerably more mystical. Uh, more damaged planet, and so generally, totally, it tends to be quite dark. Does um, the gay dude come back as a zombie? Yeah. Second James Robinson, I can read your mind. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, by the time this airs, uh, that will have. Oh my god, are you serious? No, it's not really a zombie. It's more of a... It's, it's He's a projectionist. Is he or something like that? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an it. emotional manipulation. Is he a sexy vampire? Oh. No, but he back. makes a great sexy vampire. Sexy gay vampire. He had a lot of fun designing, designing him. Um, what's, Solomon, what's Solomon Grundy doing? He's yeah. a classic horror villain. He's wearing a skirt, I think. He's wearing a skirt. No, he's wearing a butcher's apron. Oh, uh, so they turn him into like pyramid head or something. No, he's 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 a uh, he's the physical manifestation of the grey. The grey is that a new? Which is the rot. It's kind of oh. it's a whole new land of crystal fucking things that way. It's uh, it's Earth Two. Now looking at Christian. <laughs> somewhere else. The grey. As you come, uh, here we go. The grey. Eh? Uh huh. Yeah. Does anyone use some sort of Grecian? Awesome. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, Grey's been around for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I do find the idea of taking the absolute classically designed Solomon Grundy and turning him into a video game bad guy a bit worrisome. But is he a video game? No, actually, he looks. If he's in a butcher's apron, it's probably a video game character. Oh. So. He does look good, though, for all accounts. Is that because Nicola Jerum good or because he's well designed? Former, not the latter. There you go. So, well, former and the latter. Although I did like your more fantasy esque designs. I did like your, uh, your Wonder Woman and your Batman. Oh, thanks. There's, a, there's another character that I got to design because this, this has been one of the tricks about this, working on this book is that because we're having to do a lot of world building, um, mm. a lot of people have been throwing in design ideas for different characters and I'm only really invited to design certain characters as they come along 
So it's like, Nicola, this is one that's up to you, knock yourself off. And, um, you know, that's actually been a, a pretty nice experience and I'm glad to have plenty of other people contributing designs because we've got, you know, gazillion characters every five seconds. And uh, the design approval process is long. Mm. Doesn't mean we always get it right because uh, we're in the process of trying to tweak one of the characters that no one's having. Did you get to do Red B? Red B. Red B. Who the fuck's Red B? Never heard oh of Red B. Oh my god. Oh, I'm Red sorry. I don't know anybody. He's, he's, well, he's famous for being unknown. He's not, so no one doesn't know. Is this the James Robinson? He's got little bees in a jar and he carries them around no. with him. And he's oh, like, that they, guy. They yeah. do what he wants. Oh god, he, he had a name? He has a B in his belt buckle <laughs> and the B is called Michael. And. <laughs> <laughs> You wrote that. Uh, some, some drugs, this was back. This was back in the 1940s, where your deadline was. I want it oh, done by this afternoon. Yeah. That's hilarious. So I was smoking with junk then. Yeah, and before LSD became illegal. <laughs> and um, <laughs> no, so there was, it was medicinal, wasn't it? Like yeah. <laughs> um, but what would happen is that is that back then is that because comic books had six million copies easy. Oh. Um, the market just opened up and oh anybody yeah for sure yeah. Um, Carrie Bates tells a great story about how he bought his house off Miracle Monday you know stuff like that um, <laughs> that shit doesn't happen anymore. and that was the 1970s that wasn't that long ago so in the, the post-war comics were huge absolutely huge um, servicemen read them kids read them adults read them everybody read them it was cool for a very very brief period of time yeah. Orson Welles famously big comic book fan um, mm. Good mates really? with uh, Starenko, I believe. Was he? Um, so what no, are, you, are we talking no, about here? It's going to be before the comic book time. Yes. From. And, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so what happened? Fucked everything up. Yeah, pretty much this is sort of immediately after World War Two. So what would happen is that they would buy any idea because you could print anything and it would sell. Right. Which is why you get crazy stuff like Stardust, the Super Wizard, and you know what? all that. <laughs> Good comics, you should go and read them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just genuinely, because wizards are cool, but a super wizard, uh, forget about it. Look out! Forget about it. Super wizard. You should go check out Stardust, the super wizard. Yeah, that's um, they should have changed uh, Captain Marvel's name to. Yeah, he <laughs> should have super, super Captain Marvel. There you go. Super oh, okay, Captain okay, Marvel. Yeah. And of course, yeah, Captain Marvel guy. came out of the same period. Old uh, Otto Binder comes up, has yep. an idea. Brilliant. Arguably a better idea than Superman. And uh, anything. Well, Superman's a great idea, but Captain Marvel's a fantastic idea. Having read both Golden Age Superman and Golden Age Captain Marvel, I actually much prefer Golden Age Captain Marvel. Right. Plus, he has coolest costume in comics. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, what would happen is that uh, some guys like the Red Bee would appear, and, uh, you know, what's his name? Mr. Terrific, who for some reason people still now think he's a good idea again. Mr. Mr. Terrific, the original white guy, Mr. Terrific, he's our bad guy. Terry really? Fine. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> he's our Lex Luthor. I it? was completely unaware of that. <laughs> Look out, bitches, here he comes. <laughs> um, you know, so, so any character would be brought up. And then, of course, uh, horror elements began to slide into the work, and... Uh, they all got in trouble then old uh, well-meaning but spastic Redrick Wortham got involved yeah. and um, he really did have the best of intentions but oh, yeah. had <laughs> not children. I mean, he's actually a very interesting man and he's kind of like within comic book circles is now looked upon as a, as a as a villain but was actually a good doctor who just got stuff wrong yeah I, I'm really I'm because Sequoia are now doing a documentary oh, right. all about Wortham 
and I'm really curious to see how they portray him because I yeah I agree with you. I think he had good intentions. He wanted to do good. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's now become blamed for. Where well, we what we forget is that the comics code was instituted by the comic companies themselves. Yes. No. That was a way of them saving face. Yeah. So to put it all on one man feels. Yeah. And it lasted a fucking long time. They've only yeah. just oh, been teaching it recently. Yeah, they are skipping. Close my mind. Yeah, and that that was the death of the horror comic, the American horror comic. It, it just stopped after that. And I mean, what's the what's the famous story that they got up on trial? I think it's a piranha story. Some dude feeds his girlfriend to piranhas. Feeds called. his girlfriend piranhas. Feeds yeah, feeds his. Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> takes her out to the fish and chip shop. Yeah. <laughs> or a piranha and chips. Yeah, good man. If I recall correctly, that's actually the story that they got up and said, "Look at this unspeakable filth." But um, as a superhero comics got uh got the chop too, and basically disappeared until the 1960s. What? Yeah. Well, that's why they became so kitty. And then you could, I mean, they were there, they were like, that's where you get 1950s Batman and Superman, which are so freaking weird. I love the weird Because they can't fight villains, they can't do anything. That's why you've got Batman in his zebra suit and stuff like that. I love Zebra Batman. That's where you get the original Batman of Zero and R, stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. uh, Batman Zebra suit. I would wear that every day <laughs> if I could get a hold of Batman Zebra suit. I think it would have got a Kickstarter project. Yeah. <laughs> Both yeah. Christian to wear a Batman Zebra suit. Yeah. I would never take that shit off. It would be brilliant. Um, and then, arguably, the Fantastic Four 1 or the modern reinvention of The Flash right. is where the Super yeah, Age yeah. starts. Yeah. yeah, when it became science fiction. Yeah. yeah. But you never get horror comics never come back. Mm. American horror comics never come back. And what do you what do you you sort of they disappeared? I mean, you get weird stuff like uh, what's his face French Canadian bloke, Bernie Murrow, people like that, Greedo Krepak, stuff like that. These these weird projects survive, yeah. but they're very marginalised. Okay. Even from Hell, back when it was yeah. first coming out, where anyone who would publish a bloody chapter got a chance to publish a chapter mm. um, that was Alan Moore arguably the biggest name in, in comics in the world at that time mm. he could not get this kind of horror comic published right. crazy. and it's not until Image reinvented itself as a, as a creator and, and Vertigo yep. came along there you get probably argue that it's dark fantasy more yeah. than horror mm. which is not a, not a great description but yeah. um, it's only, yeah, the, the late 90s where horror comics come back into the mainstream of, of American and thus Australian reading. Mm, um, yeah. Whereas even then, when, when Marvel UK dropped off, you had 2000 AD and sometimes stuff like Warrior, but you never really had that uh, a, a horror publisher. You never had a place where you could really sell horror comics. Mm. Mm. Uh, um, Do you think this stops a horror publisher? No, I just think that we've just gotten unlucky enough to get a bunch of weird <laughs> horror guys. Because we've got three at the moment. There's you, me, and Randall. Yep. Tom doesn't do horror. Changing uh, Skyland isn't horror. Vals. Vals isn't horror. Uh, uh, digested isn't horror. Uh, well, Waldo. Digested has 
that well, though you're at scene with the garden plants, it's this sort of monstrous Lovecraftian thing. Yeah, you could argue that, but I wouldn't argue that it, it's. I mean, no, no, it's not strictly speaking. Hard, yeah, yeah. So, but then that's also with the deep. You know, they've got their logo and they've got a tentacle in it. You could argue. Yeah, it's a tentacle, so... Yeah. yeah. Tentacle? The oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, no, I, I wouldn't classify him as a... I mean, I guess Gestalt is limited to one genre, which is what's great about it. Yeah. 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 You've got a range of creators, you've got a range of styles, a range of story types. Um, yeah, look, I... I think one, one thing that did come from the whole horror comic book genre is that it's influenced so many people that I've spoken to, like American yeah. artists and writers, and it seems that it's one of these things that was taken away, yet so many people held on to. Gabriel Hardman is one of my favourite American okay. comic book artists. Okay. And he's, uh, he's a big fan of Gene Collins' work. Yeah. Um, and y- you can see that, but if anything, you know, it's, it's kind of disappeared and no one seems to have picked up the mantle, but at least we have all these creators that were inspired and hopefully yeah. one day it will come through. I'm actually terrified of you doing a horror novel terrified because you draw such beautifully proportioned bodies yeah. that the idea of them encountering injury right. is just uh, scary to me because it's actually quite uh, close to actually. I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity like uh, I, um, that's something we were talking about for a while not so much a horror book yeah but, just sort of but, a, but it's an a while book I've, because I'm doing Broken Line now which if it does well we're going to keep on running as an ongoing series basically like it's like a apocalyptic supernatural book mm-hmm. but its basis won't be on an ongoing story well there'll be ongoing thematic concerns and, and, and an arc involving all the characters but basically it's it's to do with the supernatural and the post-apocalyptic world um, besides that the thing which I really want to do is something which Nick and I were talking about for a while um, and the wah book, which won't actually have any specific horror elements, but will be very hyper real, and people will be getting hurt in unusual and varied ways. Mm. It's gonna, it's actually, it'll be a, there's that one scene we were talking about a while ago where they cut the throat and you watch the drop, oh, yeah. and you watch the, and you watch the blood drop drop down each panel individually, and once you get to the end pan panel, it looks like the top panel, except there are all these bodies on the ground, and then the next page you get the splash, and you get to see what's actually occurred. But it's an idea to play with form, like structure, like mm. form and stru- structure, which is always what I did so well, is was playing around with form and structure. Um, but yeah, it's just you know that's what we like to do. But you know, Christian comes back with two jugs of beer, and I stop talking. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity sort of, uh, this is kind of how I'm hoping I can steer my career is that I can keep doing mainstream stuff because it pays well and it's great mm. profile and it's, it is actually quite fun, you know, I got mm. into the industry to draw superheroes um, and now that I've been doing it full time for quite a long time, I never want to give it up but I want to be, I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like I'm close to the end of testing my limits of what I can do mm. creatively mm. with that and uh, I'd like to see what other kinds of artistic developments I can push myself into which would only really be appropriate uh, in more independent comics yep. and, and not superhero mm. genre um, so you know I'm, I'm hoping that those those opportunities 
come up and that I can continue doing superhero stuff in between. Because, mm. you know, uh, I'm now starting to see why people who have worked in, in mainstream for a long time uh, get that desperate need to venture away and do creator own because that's where you can where you can sort of test yourself creatively in ways that you can't really do in mainstream. Yeah. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Because I'd like, I like What's the opportunity. Yeah, I like the opportunity to do something that's mm. a completely different approach to how I would draw a page, but also do something that's beautiful and also potentially. Porno comics. That's what's happening. Oh yeah, if I could get paid to draw some <laughs> flash books, I'd, I'd do oh that. Oh my god, Nicholas Scott Yowie, Every you heard it. It's coming. <laughs> Bring it on, that might be a Kickstarter project, I'll get heaps to go. Oh my god, if you start that up, you would never work in You would just take yeah. the million dollars you get paid to draw that and run away. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, that's Speak of Horror. Yeah. Uh, Nick and Nora Charles yeah. became the elongated man within the DC Universe. Oh yeah. Where... DC Universe's answer to, to, to Nora Charles mm. was she was bum-raped and set on fire. Yeah. And he got trapped in a room with an evil wizard and then uh, sacrificed himself to bind them both in that room for eternity. I in believe. Seriously, what happened? In 52? Yeah. He gets trapped with Faust. He's block out all kinds of shit. And then Aren't they both ghosts who travel around solving crimes possible? Well, that was what um, was meant to be. Ghost Chuck, Chuck, What's his name? <laughs> the, the chap who did Batman of the Outsiders. Chuck. DC don't like him anymore. Chuck Dixon. Good Chuck Dixon. DC don't like him anymore. That's that's a good no. short <laughs> Chuck Dixon had this idea of them being mystery solving ghosts, but no one else picked it up. I think. Which is a nice idea. You know, I love everyone. They should they should survive the new Fifty Two because they're ghosts. Yeah. They should be able to survive the flashpoint. Whatever happens. I think I yeah flashpoint. I didn't read it. Flashpoint. I saw that in the comic shop and I was like, "You're just fucking with me, man. <laughs> what is going on?" No, Christian no. took it as an upfront, as though they did it just to get to you personally. <laughs> they know I'm going to hate this, right? I have no idea. I actually was like, "That's weird. That's a I weird character to spin off." All I really know about Flashpoint is that the Amazons in a superhero comic book oh, no. were a used rape as a war tactic. That is Azarello's new. No, series. this was also in Flashpoint. Is yeah. that? The <laughs> Amazons create castration camps in Britain. Oh, there is that. They make some offhand reference to yes. it. I wouldn't hang down anymore. <laughs> it's, just, it's just fantastic. It's just, it's just, let's just ignore they that. They castrated all the men in England. Hey. Now Wonder Woman comes from a nation of rapists. Yeah. And, I don't know, put pants on her or something? That's apparently more no, of an no. outrage for the comics community. And the fact that Amazons are now. Oh, no, it, it is I think people are outraged. I actually really like the new version, except for a couple of moments where I just think, mm. apart from the fact that, wow, okay, that's a that's a new take, which is it's actually probably a little more in keeping with what the Amazon mm. race mm. was like. Um, but how is how has she managed to be oblivious to this all that's, the time? That's a bit of a problem. And, but but because it's interesting you should say that because Azarello came out before the series ran and his pitch to the market was this is a horror book 
Yeah. That's how we described it. From the very beginning. And it's, it's, it's proved to be quite horrifying. Yeah, it's Wonder Woman in a horror book. That's a horror. We found our way here yet again. There you go. Yay. Yay. I like Azarello, though. Yeah, I would have been very happy drawing that. Yeah. Around. Would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, that would have been good. Because um, there's... there's Meanwhile, there's I'm loving the art. It's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's Mike Chang, is it? No, it's Yeah, he's a good, good artist. Up it's fantastic. So. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen it for a while. It's uh, Jean-Paul Leon. He'd be good on the design of DC. What do you do? Uh, you probably know him from... What that, that big Marvel thing with the Watcher and Space and Machine Man and stuff like that. Oh, okay. 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 Sorry, probably. He's probably oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably his most mainstream book. And I'm just like, that, yeah, I know. Turns up in loads of other stuff, but he's a good artist. He's a very, very good horror artist. Isn't yeah. X the one that Alex Ross was doing covers the for? The cover for, yeah. Stuff? Yep. Yeah, the art in that was beautiful. Yeah, that guy's name is Jean-Paul Leon. Right. Yeah, I can see him doing horror. There's a lot of black on that. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot. Of, he actually worked with my pal Stephen Grant on oh, yeah. uh, 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 Night Force, which was one of those weird 1970s DC horror properties. Yeah, they Night Force back. back. Have they? Yeah. Yeah, because again, is it is it DC was always much more uh, experimental hmm. than than Marvel, especially in the 1970s, where yeah. they chucked oh. fantasy books and they chucked. Uh, Again, like strange uh, horror stories like Night Force, and um, yeah. there was another one I can't remember. Right House now. of Mysteries, House of Secrets. There you go, those ones. They're uh, yeah. um, so DC always had much more of a presence in the in the non superhero world, right. and Baron Winters and Night Force was one of them. Mm. But then they kind of bring them in to the uh, into the DC universe. Like yeah. nothing can escape the, om- yeah. the omnivorous story eating machine <laughs> that is this universe stuff like that brought in Nightmaster which was this relatively mental uh, fantasy comic about a guy in a black body glove who uh, had a soul stealing sword and was like a villainous 1970s fantasy anti-hero and he fought guys like you know Claw the Unconquered and the Warlocks of Years <laughs> and stuff like that fantastic pulpy fantasy stuff mental that's brought in Warlord was never meant to be a part of the DC Universe bought in um, and suddenly these are these horror comics like Night Force uh, are bought into the DC Universe mm. where they kind of sit uncomfortably like a clown mm. with an erection in your house <laughs> once again <laughs> we're, we're, back to we're done <laughs> and um, and so suddenly you have these bizarre horror narratives within the heart of the superhero universe yep which I think sit quite uncomfortably. Yes. Well, isn't that why they created Vertigo? To they separate them? They did. Uh, Vertigo... Vertigo's history is so so strange because... Did it start imprint merely for one part? What happened is this... Hellblazer, wasn't it? Yeah, Hellblazer, yeah. 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 No. What? No? No. What happened is that, is that after Alan Moore's Swamp Thing... Right. Uh, Alan Moore being as good as he is, he got away with stuff that nobody else could get away with. Yeah. Primarily adding those mature elements in a Swamp Thing. And that sets, that sets the time yeah. for Swamp Thing for the rest of yeah. his career. Mm. So he basically gets removed from the DC Universe. Right. He can't really... Something he can't hang out with Batman anymore because, yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe they were 
worried that Batman will eat a psychedelic tuba and trip balls and as awesome as that would be. I'm just remembering a Garth Ennis scene from Hellblazer where they're having a party <laughs> and he, he gets swamping to grow old ash. But that's one thing I've about the floating <laughs> joint that I'm off my face backwards. <laughs> but I like the fact that whilst that's sub- sub- subversive, making it magic, and it also did that when he did Hitman as well, where he got you know. Well, Hitman's a bit different, but no, um, but he got um, a hit, Hitman to vomit all over Bat- Batman's shoes. Yeah, you know? he also had John Constable yeah. piss on the Phantom Stranger, yeah. my favourite DC character. <laughs> Fucking genius moment. Yeah. But so you get something, and something becomes this, you know, like, and certainly by the the, the last sort of five or six issues yeah. of the, of that. Uh, horrible, you know. Just uh, never forget, you know, Etrigan putting his battle armor on and putting like yeah. spiking scorpions to him and things. Just fantastic stuff. Yeah. So there's something by himself for a while, and there's the little suggestion for mature readers under yeah. the DC logo, and then uh, Hellblazer spins off from that. Yeah. Suggested uh, Shade comes along, and Peter Milligan apparently tricking DC editorial <laughs> into letting him do. Show the Changing Man because mm-hmm. he's a spin-off from an old Ditko character. Yeah. Basically, what what if a mod talked about Irish writers for 22 issues of a superhero <laughs> story? <laughs> Pretty great, right? Well, there's the other one. Um, they're looking at Screamer. Yep. Which is all Joyce. Yep. It's spinning its wake. Very disturbing book. Very much horrific. Yeah. Uh, I I had a real hard time reading it, but. Goodness, he he took Joyce and he just channeled it. Yeah, he's fantastic. It was working. Um, uh, you know, this was the same guy did Skin, the story about a thalidomide baby slash neo-Nazi, and suddenly he gets his own superhero comic. Wow. Which is bloody strange. Like, yeah. Then Morrison comes along with Doom Patrol, suggested for mature readers, and then eventually they go, okay, well we've got this whole line. Let's. Stick it into a, a Sandman yeah. comes along. Yeah. Was Sandman the point when they decided to label the brand? No, no, no. Then they all sort of it just appeared one day. Everybody was redone in Vertigo. And then oh. you can say fuck as well. That actually <laughs> kind of like, but seriously, they're like yeah. big breakthroughs. So what you're saying, back to what you're saying, was, was Preacher the first book produced after the Vertigo label, the first ongoing half label? No idea. But it's all kind of like, um, it all that, 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 that's still one, one of the flagship business when the films were better go. Well, then what happened is that, is that a lot of those guys left the, the DC books and then moved in their own crate online. Yeah. So you got like uh, Invisibles, yeah. Preacher, uh, Minx, was it? Was that Minx, Peter Milligan? Minx? Yep. Was that Milligan? Yep. yep. Milligan. Which has one of the best characters ever in comics. Really? Inspector McAnguish. <laughs> <laughs> McAnguish. Morris is a great horror writer. He, 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 his stuff in Animal Man. Was that part of the reason oh, that go kicked into gear? Was because of the Comics Code and they needed yeah, something they, separate? They needed to to be able to have a place where you could do you know mature grown up comics. And um, at the time, and they offered a very good credit deal. They offered oh, a very very good deal. Uh, offered a very good deal for creators to go, and then that stopped. Right. Um, and that's why you don't see uh, pretty much any of those original sort of four or five guys who were the Vertigo guys. Peter Milligan doesn't work for him. Graham Morrison doesn't work for him. Uh, Garth Ennis doesn't work for him. Oh, it's any of them. Poor old John Smith, the forgotten great English writer of comic books from the 80s, 
who wrote stuff like Scarab and uh, things like that, uh, wrote some really good Judge Dredd stories. Mm. He never got any traction with them um, and didn't enjoy the experience at all. So, you know, um, but you had that and then sort of it all moved away from, you know, uh, it always trips me out if you go and you read Infinite Sorry, not Infinite Crisis. Crisis on Infinite Earth. There's John Constantine hanging out with Mento. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's weird. But that's my comic history now. so far. Now it's with the whole DCU, DCU yeah. dark thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 everything's dark. Yeah. 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 Just image. keep them separate. Image yeah, it's not an issue. Has, has anyone read Brew Baker's Fatal? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what's the general consensus on that one? Um, you go around, because... I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we may have the same things to say. So, always, and you're a lot more eloquent. I, I've previously you always been like, I love your serious criminal. I do really appreciate it. Criminal was great. Yeah, I love criminal. Ah, which implies there's a different opinion about this. I um, yeah, I wasn't crazy about uh, Fatal, um, because once again we're we're raiding the Lovecraft Colossus once more and. You know, after a while, you begin yeah. to figure there's other writers, right. <laughs> there's yeah. other people you can be. Godness, why won't someone do Clark Ashton Smith? Why won't someone just like the do uh, Nicholas? Do an illustrated Clark Ashton Smith. Sure. <laughs> we had this after I left. Hand me the bat. He comes back with his cigarette. After I left, leaning in. After I left Secret World, uh, mm. same thing happened. Is that is that uh, other people just came in and just said like, right, name all the streets after Lovecraft. I just thought like, oh, is that it? Is that yeah. It? Oh. yeah. Stop it. Yeah, that's it. And look, it's it's a sort of noir yeah. story with horror elements. Yeah, okay. Um, well, but I'm not ready to take. Yeah, but anyway. yeah, exactly. But that's that was my impression mm. reading it. I was meant to feel connected uh, to the yes, to just the because they cited these two things. Yeah. Don't you feel great already? And yeah. I'm going, well, no, I don't. Aren't you doing something with it? Yeah. Right. You know. Thanks very much. You've yeah. cited two things I like. I like noir and I like yeah. Lovecraft. And you Love can't do anything interesting yes. with yeah. it. <laughs> so, you cannot stay away. so you've got those two check check. Win win. Yeah, win. But I've also got one other thing to add to that. What's I that? think that Brew Baker is he is a great writer of dialogue. I in general. I think he's really good. I but I no, there's no but. Like the tales fell a bit, uh, fell a bit short. Okay. Oh really? Yeah, but a little bit. Look, I'll, I'll it wasn't bad it. at all. No, in no sense. The covers the are amazing, and you see it in the shop, and you want to buy it. Yeah. Like every issue since, I want to buy it. Um, his um, bar. I've, I've, it's not just it the covers. No, because Lark's work with rapper right now. On Lazarus, so it could be. Sean Phillips, is it Phillips or what? It's Sean Phillips. Phillips, Phillips yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is Sean Phillips. Uh, it's Sean Phillips because. Because Lark and Brew, uh, Brew Baker and Rucker seem to work almost exclusively with Lark and Phillips on all their noirish stuff. Like, they're, they're the beautiful and, and, books. And there was always a great sense of symmetry and symbiotic relationships there. Oh, look, I'm really, in, I'm, I'm, it's always fine. That's why, partially, I think, why I find Brew Baker's work so entrancing because his relationships with Lark and Phillips are also so strong artistically. Like, if it wasn't for their art on um, Captain Met. Merrick, I don't think it would have been as awesome as what it was, but mm. sure, it's fantastic. I, I just had uh, an epiphany. Um, over, over beer, of course. Over, yeah, of course. <laughs> who has an epiphany sober? Yeah. Uh, I would love to see, and you were saying that you'd, you'd like the whole post-apocalyptic thing. Mm. 
I would love to see an Andrew Constant Colin Wilson collaboration. I would. Yeah. Like, he Colin Wilson okay, is you the. You just give me an A bomb there. I would love to work with Colin Wilson, but Colin Wilson is one of the most in-demand artists of all time. And after viewing his work for five fucking seconds, you know why. He's the best post-apocalyptic artist of all time. Colin Wilson is Colin Wilson. Like you, he's the nicest. He's he's the godfather of Australian comics at the moment. Like you meet Colin Wilson, he's the nicest guy in the world. Everyone loves their time with Colin Wilson, but he's always in demand. I, one thing I love about Colin Wilson is that he will not work on superior comic books. Like he's been asked, he's like, no, superior comics. Who wants to do that? I'm co- <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's just so cool. Like he knows what he wants to work on. He works on it basically. I would love to do something with Colin Wilson, but. You know, if Colin Wilson has time, then I will parade his altar and see if he's got some. But yeah, no, I think the I think Broken Line will be my last work with the horror for a little while because there comes a point where it's like, what else can I say in a genre? Like, do I want to be stuck in one genre? So I'm actually, I really want to do an action noir piece, which is hyper real, which is what noir is to a certain degree, um, unless of course you're doing stuff like David Goodis there, which is just Awfully, awfully depressing. Um, and just and just see what we we can do. See what I can do with that genre there without the like, because horror to me, supernatural horror is always like a parachute as well. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what, it allows you to do things which you couldn't always do. I want to take that parachute away and see what I can do just within the confines of the wild without the parachute of doing something gruesome because it requires because I'm. Because I feel like it will help out the story. Mm. I'm about to start. Everybody's torrent track is up and running. Mm. A movie from HBO from the early 90s called Cast a Spell. Fred Ward, Julianne Moore, Clancy Brown. The Lovecraft Detective yes. uh, pastiche. Yes. What? Yes. What? What? Yes. Uh, Fred Ward is this gumshoe detective who lives in a world His where name is Howard Lovecraft. Howard Lovecraft. He solves crimes involving demons and things like that. The opening crawl is... Oh, so it's like Harry Dresden. If anyone's listening to this, this is is where Andrew Constant died. (laughs) Um, Help me out here. The brother Justin Crowe from Carnival. Yeah, uh, Clancy Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. I wonder if he's a he's a, a love plays a girl. Mm. Um, what happens is the opening crawl. Young Julianne Moore. Yeah, young Julianne Moore. Yeah, she's she's so beautiful. Oh my god. Mm. Um, so opening crawl is uh, Los Angeles, 1947. Magic is real. Right. Uh, opens up uh, with uh, magic has become kind of like a consumer item in the post-war craze in America. Magic is real. Everybody casts spells. Zombies do forced labor. Uh, crimes are now committed with magic. Uh, American soldiers brought back gremlins from the war. That's right up my alley. From I told you I'm into spells and witches and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Well, you told me about this before, Christian. And um, uh, Howard Lovecraft, the detective, gets involved uh, with the greatest actor to ever live, the mighty, mighty David Warner, hires him to retrieve a book. A very obviously named book and uh, it's very much based on um, he means the Necronomicon <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's very 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 much based on um, what was I just yelling at, at Constant about what's his name Marlow oh. Marlow is a, is a Clancy Brown is his ex-partner they were probably cops together but Clancy Brown has gone into crime into magic crime right Julianne Moore was 
Craig Wood's girlfriend, who is now singing at Clancy Brown's club, singing jazz ballads and torch songs. Right. And as this uh, this uh, particularly great little crime story rocks up, and then it becomes explicitly Lovecraftian. Right. Um, excellent. Well written. Great characters. Cast a deadly spell. Cast a deadly spell. Tracking that down today. I told you. Um, really great. There was a bad sequel made much, much later on uh, called Witchcraft, which was about uh, McCarthyism, suddenly, uh, which has Julian Sands in it, which is always a sign of quality. Oh, Jesus, really? Was yeah. Julian Sands in the original one? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And. Um, uh, Dennis Hopper plays the friend Watcher, and it's terrible. But oh, I've seen like that. I, think I've, I actually think I've seen that film. I remember Dennis but, Hopper doing something. But crazy. if you're interested in horror and noir, and as a as yeah, a yeah. Night, I've always wanted to steal this idea. I've always wanted to just rip it off, but I can't in good conscience just steal. <laughs> and I have like about seven or eight really strong ideas for how you would do this but why don't you just run so, with it mate? so what we're saying is that we should all see this and then keep an eye on your future work yeah, yeah. Well, oh, for, the, for the convergence of both well I saw it I saw it when it came out which was a long time ago or very shortly after it came out mm-hmm. and um yeah I've always wanted to steal from it um, the director VHS in Australia no, no. Or did it, did it even make it? Did it release here? Did no, it? I, the, it's an HBO. I had an old it's, it's, uh, it's copy it's, beta tape, man. It's a HBO. Really? Tape. Wow. It's a, I'm very old. It's a HBO film. Yeah, HBO for Sopranos. So wow, okay. Um, and yeah, I've um, I just I cannot in good conscience figure out how to rip it off without like doing a preface. Hi guys, I'm Christian Reed, and I ripped off Constantly Spell. We'll find out who has the rights to it. But thanks for your money. But you want to know, the director eventually went on to direct the Green Latin movie. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> Martin Campbell. Oh, Martin yeah. Campbell. It's Martin, it's Martin Campbell. And I believe... Who directed two director. Bond films. Who directed two Bond films. And I believe that the writer was that uh, crazy dude who wrote films like Highlander and The Prophecy, Greg Whitten. Well, I could be wrong oh. about that. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, before, because this is like yes. four millennia ago now, you're asking what horror things have influenced me re- recently, and it's not that influenced, because I just remember because I had four beers. fun editing that bit. <laughs> fuck. Edit the fuck out of that one, motherfucker. Four beers. Uh, how many jugs are we now? Like six jugs? I don't know, but it's somewhere around. <laughs> I was going to get around. Yeah. 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 Right. And um, it's actually the uh, Charlie Huston Joe Pitt series. Yes. Oh, yes. Too good. Too yes. good. Yeah, vampire thug. Fist bump. Boom shanker. Boom. That was actually. It was actually. That was my first. Boom shanker to me. Huh? A man just fist bumped me and then said boom shanker to me. He the thing about that. The thing, the whole boom shanker thing, is that he's been going out of his way to say I'm not. I'm not a hippie. Leave me alone. It's because I had my toe fixed up, and yet he says boom shanker. I'm AKA six. Nigel Planner. Neil from the young ones. I'm six the foot guy, four. I weigh two hundred and something. There's a part where he's playing guitar oh, on the toilet. Boom shaker. And just no, falls no, on his head no. and water yeah. all over him. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah. God, Fuck that. that no, bad. no, I don't. We don't count that as a book. That's what was she? She's a non-operative um, transgendered male. No, no. Poppy Bright's actually an important writer. No, but she, but that's what she's classified herself now. What? No, she no, no. She recently classified herself as a 
as a non-operative transgendered male. Are you kidding me? Yeah. With her husband. With her husband. And her, her book's about the um, New Orleans... So she's the gay man. Um, yeah, we'll restaurant scene is actually quite fascinating, like crime and those books are actually... No, 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 terrible. But it also has the weird... Slam down! <laughs> <laughs> do you want a yeah, water? 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 Yes. It also has the weirdest gay fellatio scene I've ever read. Whoa, what, what? Poppy Bright. <laughs> okay, <laughs> she cool? clearly considers herself the a gay man in a woman's though. body. How does her husband feel about that? John, you want? Gay. Is he a gay man in a... I don't know. Poppy Bright. Hit him. What was that written? 89? Uh, Lost Souls. Yes. This is bigger than the edition which I read, which was actually a lot. Are they re-released? They re-released all editions, aren't they? Because... Oh my god, this looks so fucking... Everyone, this looks so fucking Twilight, by the way. That's exactly why. That's exactly why. They are playing... Because I'm looking forward... I'm looking forward to Twilight Crowd reading this book and just having a quick (laughs) comment on the side. What? That's exactly why I'm rereading it, because I'm not waiting. Oh my god, the girls are just going, oh, oh, what? They're coming open. Oh my god. But there's all these references to Dylan Thomas, you know, so I'm going, oh, yeah. uh, she's everyone loves Dylan Thomas. Well, one thing I will say for Twilight, and it's the same thing that can be said for Harry Potter and so many other things, Goosebumps. So, uh, kids uh, it gets kids reading. Anything yeah. that gets kids reading. Doesn't matter what it is. Because hopefully... hopefully Keep bookstores open Hopefully they go on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree though. I Probably right. came along in 1989. And, and pretty, pretty much I was just... And who was the other bit? Dean That were pretty much it for the voices. And she wrote this... Bizarre gender-bending... Uh, vampire story mm. about um, gay men's protagonists. So yeah. you had all this sort of like um, strange gendered stuff happening, um, and it's not for me. But Who is I it for? It's it was basically like for women. It was for it was kind of a super gothy. That's um, for everyone actually. Paul Sunrise. What what Poppy Bright did was that she bought this whole kind of queer horror, which is a huge thing mm. from the 1940s onwards. Mm. Um, it was very, very coded. Yeah. Um, mm. Patricia Eisner. Yeah, absolutely. James Wales. She's, like that. she's an incredible person um, to speak about her own, her own. Now, I don't like Lost Souls. I, I think no. it's over the top in gothy and, and has, yeah. like, you know, uh, the protagonists are, are weak and wretched. But it was very important, and I remember a lot of the people at the time that came out when I was about 20, mm. a lot of the people who had never been represented ever yeah. in a bit of a horror fiction was like, wow, this is amazing. It was it was pretty incredible for its time. But I will always love her because she wrote a short story, a zombie short story, set in Calcutta. It was amazing. Mm. And she wrote a Lovecraftian net story about Elvis. She also wrote a crow novel as well. Everybody got to pay the rent, brother. I know for all supposedly publishing writers this and that, but I always found her books compelling. I've, I've never been bored reading the Poverty Bright book. I've never been. What was. I always remember that. I think it was one of her other novels. Exquisite Corpse? Yeah. Mm. Where there's this bizarre conversation about. Um, what's his face? Fritz the Cat. Not what? Ralph Bakshi. Oh, no, no, no. The original guy originated. Crumb. Oh, Crumb. Crumb, yes. There's this uh, time out in a, in, a, in a zombie novel where two guys just have a long conversation about Robert Crumb. 
I always remember thinking like, that's a high risk maneuver, but it worked out. It's pre-Tarantino. Yeah. Someone asked him, Tarantino, how do you write? And he says, I have two people in the room, and they just talk. And you know, they talk about things, that whatever's on their mind, that's what it is. So you have cool fiction, all of a sudden people are talking about Big Macs, and, you know. It sounds like a George V. Higgins book, basically. See? I've actually always... I like Tarantino, I'm like the world's biggest fan. But part of the reason that is that sometimes I kind of feel like he's wasting my time. Hmm. Because it worked really well, the opening scene of Reservoir no. Dogs. The Madonna conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is a clap. Idiot. <laughs> so, I, I apologise, I just put my foot on the table for getting the... His filthy mong foot. <laughs> no, that was my good foot, my mong foot's on the ground. Um, you just hear him swear at me under his breath. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, fucker. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in economy in storytelling. Mm. Um, uh, you all know the, the theory of Chekhov's gun, which is... Uh, hugely near and dear to me which is that if there's a gun in Act 1 someone gets shot in Act 3 yeah yeah. I'm a big believer in that I'm a big believer in like cutting away the extraneous material agree uh, everything goes towards the, the theme of the story yep and if something is wasting time and things like that I get rid of it I don't like it it's why I rewrite it's why I draft yeah. and if I see that I'm wasting time out it goes mm. um and I, every time I look at my, my comics, I just see like, oh my god, too many words. Stop talking. And well, I feel that Tarantino is important because he is such an iconoclastic mm. filmmaker where he did okay. break so many rules but did it really, really effectively. Um, but Over I'm still not necessarily that comfortable with it. Um, mm. I much prefer Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction. I think that Pulp Fiction, every now and again, I'm just like, oh, get your hand off it, shut up. Just tell the <laughs> story. I, I think it's like Kevin Smith does well, where Kevin Smith is talky, talky, talky. Oh, I don't, I don't want to, I, I, I miss, everyone here likes to going to smack you down because Kevin Smith is a guy who needs to be edited the fuck out of like oh, He's living off this adulation. Yeah. But yeah. it's not to any point. Kevin Smith. Look, I've got no. It's a bit of an I've got no time. sliding on on his. I think Christian I think Christian said it best. Is that you need to be if you're a good writer, you have to reduce and carry the thing forward. Like even even with Torn, like most of my time was spent saying, looking at the script and going, okay, what can I cut out? Like not what what do I add, but what do I cut Torn out? Torn is a very tight. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's how I've always written when I was doing my journalism stuff when I was younger, no matter what I was doing, I'm a tight writer. Like, I can I can write and blah, blah, blah. Like, I've, I've written a few proposals for Gestalt as well, and I just, and it's an academic style of writing there, so I just write blah, 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 blah and I just go on and on and on and on. But when you write for fiction, when you're trying to tell a story, you don't want to get in the way of your own story or your character, so you just cut out everything which is unnecessary and allow the story to go. Edit, edit, edit. I edit the fuck out of everything. Like my most thing is like, five words, too many. How can I say it in two? Like it's that's just, but that's me. That's what I like. Shoes off. <laughs> I am wearing thumbs. Um, but I, I disagree with what you say. But I love, as you know, I really enjoy Eldritch Kid. And I don't think there's too many words on the page at all with that one. Yeah. It's just um, 
Don't go Woody Allen on Christian, please. I don't think so. No, when I, when I read it, there was no point that I thought this is... Like, there was no waffle. There was no... Yeah. Did you, with, with Tom, what I was trying to do as well is because the main dude, I call him Rex, right? The guy with the hair and the scar. The wolf. The wolf. The wolf is... Can you please call him Cornish Rex? Cornish. <laughs> Coin. I call him I call him Scar. Okay, we'll call him Okay, so it's Scar. Scar in comparison to the brother, like I wanted to be I wanted to be a wonderful juxtaposition here. Like you had this guy who was not pure spirit but knew who he was and tried to hide and keep yeah. that going and had this uniform and didn't say a word unless required. And then you had the brother there who just couldn't oh, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was in love with Sanderson. Why is he just kept going and going? That was a human infection. Yeah, that was a human infection. And he was, yeah, he was always a fucker from the start. Yeah. Did your meat make you cry? What sort of fucker says, did your meat make you cry? Like, yeah. Freak. I, I loved Dagger Torn. I loved the use of language in Torn. I love that the hero says so little and then it reminded me of We Three to a degree. We yeah. Three had this sort but of reduction of language. Yeah, true. One of the things that I loved about Tom was that, that uh, Rex or Scar or, or whatever people are calling him to themselves, yes. um, his, his body, of, his, his vocabulary is so small, but it, it, uh, he keeps using these same words and in different contexts they'll mean different things. Yeah, and I it can be really emotive or it can be really, really plain and clear. When I was no, reading, no, I, have, sorry, I just I thought yeah. it was utilitarian. It was sort of, yeah. it was almost like a, it was like 1984. It was yeah. sort of like oh, wow. cut down on language yep. and yeah. just use exactly what you need. Yeah. Like instead of, like you were saying before, instead of him just being a beast and, yeah. and the beast side controlling him, he was much like an animal where... And the speech was the thing that... He, he was, his animal sense was always go iron yeah. Hampton as well. He was always, what's the goal of this moment? What are we trying to do? And his language, I was hoping to reflect that as well, as opposed to um, yeah. the brother, who was always more about yeah, trying to describe. He was, he was always trying to find himself all the time. Through my, my history, you know. I have to ask, um, I think you're looking good. Is that from your your The irony of that is, near the eye of the film, I've always wanted to watch. It's been on my shelf for a while. I haven't watched it. I haven't seen it. It's actually five minutes. It's like, no, it's just because a phrase I watched that about three weeks ago. What would you. What would you. Jim! What would you say if you were a complete. like high school girls in trouble. What would you say if you're a complete copper? You'd say if you were looking good, right? It's wonderful because Bill Paxton, I think it is? in Near Dark was on vitamin shots on the day they, they did the scene where they massacre a bar full of people yeah. and he kills some dude and he turns to the camera and he improvised finger licking good and he sucks on his finger but that that's, like that, that's like that moment, moment in um, The Dark Knight where his ledger does the clap yeah. which wasn't yeah. a script it's just that one important improv moment there Beautiful. Just yeah. but no I, I actually the funny thing is that my biggest influence though is in writing, I'll say what we'd say, is actually Greg Rucker. Um, he's actually my favorite writer, not because I'm trying to emulate him, because after I read Torn, I read some more of his work, and I realized, holy fuck, actually, we've got a similar, not style, because Greg's a lot more experienced than I am, but um, he seems to use, he's got a great sense of structure, he really knows how to use the page, he knows how to be thematic as well, 
he cuts back dialogue when it's unnecessary. He's got a real disciplined, almost like an assassinate assassin-like approach to language where, where he cuts away all the extraneous keeps the po- poetic there and makes sure it's always telling the story which is similar to what I do there so yeah, you know, like that's been my biggest Muslim writing say, because I remember when I said, shit, I'm not the only one trying to write like this, like there's someone else out there trying to, because I, I started doing Torn before I met Greg and you know, it's just I remember reading stuff going, I'm not the only one trying to do this Rah! so you know, it's that was important for me. Mm. I also like Charlie Hudson as well. He's he can turn a word that that For the record, I wrote Nicholas Scott's first published work. Thank you, DC Comics. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs>